0: Ready? I just realized something.
1: <laughs>
0: I just started. <laughs> that entire time we were recording, I had my headphones in the wrong audio jack and didn't even acknowledge it. Oh,
2: yeah. you. <laughs> Welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. Episode World 23. Episode. Actual episode. Episode. So 23 4. I think it's 227. I think I'll have to look again. Anyway, um, this is a video game music podcast. My name is Rob Nichols. And I am horrible with audio technology. His name is actually Purnell. And uh, we've been doing this for a long time, and, and we're slowly losing your name. He's <laughs> not saying anything. <laughs> Uh, I just
0: like having these intro, these odd name intros.
2: Um, That's okay. But every week we listen to great uh, video game music from the past and the present and from all consoles and all generations. We pick a topic and we just dive right into it. And I'm going to just start with our topic today is the Commodore 64. And um, we're going to do kind of like a history of... Uh, the past and the present, and and some remixes of past games too. Like we have a lot to, to talk about, and we could not do this episode without the uh, the, the. I don't know. We, we call you the the historian of the of the Commodore sixty four. I like uh, that. Uh, that's that's, that's a kind way of putting it, <laughs> Rob. Why not? <laughs> uh, uh, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, and also known as uh, uh, My MyBri- Bri. Me, Bri. Mibri,
3: we'll go with Mibri. Yeah, yeah. My, my <laughs> Um of, 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 my the, of, the, of the demo scene.
2: So yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thanks very much for having me, Robin Um Yeah, this is uh, this is my maybe favorite topic in the entire world: the Commodore 64 and the SID SID chip audio. So this is uh, I've been very excited to talk about this beautiful thing with you both this evening.
2: The, um, I, this this this, I, this this topic's been on our list for a long time and then we decided we just have to do it now and as soon as I told you about it you got so excited <laughs> I, I like, did, yes,
0: yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's something like anytime the Commodore 64 comes up it's a general bit of excitement for me because I've played a lot of game consoles in my lifetime including the Commodore 64 but I feel like the Commodore 64 is probably
2: my least familiar mm-hmm. Of the retro de- um, consoles. Well, Pernell, I have a surprise for you. You may remember this commercial about the Commodore 64. So let's go. Here we go. Let's give it a listen.
1: I'm more alive than ever before! This 80s. This 80s. This my
0: Commodore 64 lets you play hundreds more games than any video machine, plus, draw, program, even do music! Through music? Music? Whoa, do
1: need
3: Still does music. Nails knocking down
0: door. Oh
2: he is!
1: I wanna play Commodore 64!
0: I don't know if we could carry
2: that energy through the rest of the show, but that's uh that's what I don't is.
0: think they could carry it through that entire commercial. There was definitely moments where like, they re-splice yeah. footage. So that They had
2: some killer
3: adverts, like there's there's a bunch of them on YouTube and there's a really famous one that goes, Are you keeping up with the Commodore? because the Commodore is keeping up with you which is quite sinister actually but that's that's their slogan back in the day. That's I generally chuckle
0: about a lot of those ads Commodore and even the earlier NES ads where they would have these like extreme scenarios and the character's like wow it's like coming out of the screen but yeah, they would yeah. show the image like it's a block chasing another block.
2: <laughs> well you have to think so the Commodore 64 came out in 1980 what? 1982? Eight two, yeah. And there's an 8-bit computer system um, not just a game Game system clearly not just a game system, but it was a computer system. Mm. Um, it read things off of uh, cartridges. I had a uh, read things off of tapes. It had a tape loader, right?
3: Yeah, it, it could load off a few different things: so cartridges, tapes, and floppy disks as
2: well. Okay, great. And um and then in the nineties, um the the eight bit you know home consoles came to the states, and we threw all of our computers into the trash, and <laughs> just did nothing but play Nintendo. Um, well, yeah,
0: I remember also, like, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was due to mass production, but the computer game consoles was what it. lended itself to the whole video game crash. Mm-hmm. So, like... Even before NES came over, we had, for some reason already were like, okay, we're kind of done with these computers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It may well have been just because yeah. a lot of com- that's what it was. A lot of companies were just like, throwing up shovelware on top of shovelware mm-hmm. just because they could, yeah. and they were oversaturating the market with junk. Yeah, that's right. So
2: before, before the before the NES, um, uh, uh, the Famicom came to the states. Uh, there was like no, there was like nothing. There was just just like hardly any like Atari VCS games coming out, um, and then that yeah. really changed everything. Another thing mm-hmm. that kind of put the nail in the coffin on the Commodore 64 out here was the IBM uh, PC uh, systems, like the Tandys, and all of the American markets getting into like the home PCs um, in the early 90s. And then um, because of just because of the prevalence of all of those shops and of all of like the hardware that was available to us, we just never touched it again. But I understand that the C64 had a special, uh, more of a special place in the, uh, the in the UK. Um. It did. It yeah. It was extremely prevalent in the UK, but
3: um, Europe more broadly. Oh, okay. Uh, in the UK, we had we had the ZX Spectrum as oh, well. That's we did right, big yeah. numbers. Yeah, there's Commodore sixty four, ZX Spectrum, and to a lesser extent the Amstrad CPC. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Commodore sixty four was kind of, um, kind of the one that was a bit more expensive and had a lot more RAM than the standard sixteen k Spectrum. So I think a lot of, uh, I think uh, maybe the Spectrum is what a lot of kids that that's what. Uh, less well-off families would would get the what? Commodore sixty four was for more uh, more well-off families or people who could afford it. Or if you come to the if you came to the system later in the eighties, maybe it was quite a lot more affordable at that point. But see, initially, it was kind of a if we're going to simplify it, it was between the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore sixty four depending on how much you were prepared to spend. Yeah, oh, I see. But
1: it
0: does lead me to want to wonder. So I never thought about this until this very moment, actually. The video game crash that comes up in history discussions, or video game history discussions, I think was isolated to the United States. Like, did Europe have that occur?
3: I think there would have been knock-on effects, certainly. Uh, but I think, you know, as, as Rob alluded to, we were a lot more uh, uh, faithful to the to the computers. So we kind of just kept on using them. And uh, I think depending on who you ask, maybe the primary threat to the video game industry was arguably piracy uh, although as we'll find the the piracy cracking scene did spawn a lot yeah. of really positive developments as well so strangely it's, enough it's a,
2: there's like a full circle thing that we're going to get into here
3: <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah it's a very twisty bendy kind of scenario yeah. historically
2: so I I'm and actually and actually pulled up a wiki on, on the video game crash of the 80s and they're saying there's a, flood, a flooded console market of Atari VCS systems and the loss of publishing control which is what you were saying Pranel with uh, shovelware so the control of, of, of like the actual Atari company publishing the games, suddenly they weren't in control uh, and just tons of crap was coming out. And so people just didn't care anymore. And then the home computer systems came out and more people were interested in having a system that they can do you know, yeah, business applications as well as video games on. Um, that was a, a big, big deal. So somehow, yeah. somehow Nintendo's marketing kind of broke through and, and, and the software and the music became a big part of that.
0: Well, there's something to say to that too. Like, uh, if you talk to people in the present and they reflect on the past, they typically tend to say that Nintendo had a rather draconian way of managing games that released on the NES, the yes, Nintendo Seal of Quality. Yeah, they, um, you couldn't actually.
2: Actually, the games that 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 were uh, you could, that didn't have the seal that were that were like created like um, by like those, those the Christian like Bible adventure games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah those are so hard to find now. And they're super rare. Yeah. yeah and like
0: but people would like rag on that talk about how draconian they were da, da, da. but when you discuss the history mm. you understand also that that's probably a large part of why the nes yeah. did what it did like they were like hey we can put some quality control behind what comes out on this machine which means that if it shows up someone out there had faith in it, it could be a it's a quality product right, you're not right. going to get
2: a bunch of junk i'm going to buy kid icarus i know i'm going to be playing a fun game not E. T. Right, right. the extra get, alien, the extra angel. I'm gonna buy Fester's Quest. I know I'm oh. gonna buy a fun game. Battletoads.
3: <laughs> right. That was certainly making it easier for the parents who might have been right. getting the kids the stuff for Christmas. So they, that that's probably a, a large part of how Nintendo steadied the ship, so to speak. So, so I think uh, about
0: like, I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I was just gonna say this last thing. Like, when you think about it, like we had we've had discussions, and it's probably gonna come up on that future rentals episode. But uh, when you look back. On your NES game purchases, whether they were bargain bin or rental, can you really think of, I mean, they did exist, yes, but can you think of very many where you played it and you're like, this game is literal junk. Like, this has no business being sold to human beings. (laughs) Junk. Uh, There's like one or two that
2: come up in history, but I don't think there was many. I can start with Top Gun, but, you know, there was something there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, I look back on that, now I, I used to trash it, but looking back, I wonder if it was more so me than the game. Because I could play it. I just couldn't land a stupid uh, plane.
2: Man, Pernell, you got to stop blaming yourself for these things. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people just make terrible games. Well, uh, well, anyway, this, this episode is solely focused on the Commodore 64 and the music for the Commodore 64. So um, the first part of the show, we're going to be listening to music from the classic games. So original... Games from the early '80s, early '90s, uh, music composed for that, and then we're going to get into the um, uh, kind of the new sc- new school or newer school indie side of things, and we're going to listen to new music composed yeah. for new games because there's still a, a thriving scene of of um, you know uh, uh, hobbyists uh, who are getting into this thing. And then at the end of the That's show, right, yeah. we'll get into our remixes like that. But we're talking about the about the hardware and about the music and what we're about to listen to. So. What can you tell us about what is built into the C64 and what makes it so special to the people who are in love with it? And when, I'll do my very best 64? not to go crazy. <laughs> uh, please do.
3: Go go nuts. This this could take five hours, but it's not going to take that long. So I think one of the, uh, maybe the principal reason the C64's uh, popularity is in due, it is down to its sound chip, the uh, Sound Interface Device, or SID for short. Uh, so where a lot of contemporaneous systems or even arcade systems of the 80s and home consoles or whatever would have uh, sort of PSG programmable sound generator chips like the AY or the Sega PSG mm-hmm. which of course are beautiful things um, the SID chip is quite a lot different, it's it's basically like having a, an analogue uh, synthesiser built into your computer like a three channel Moog or something because it's got... Um, the ability to switch between waveform types on an individual channel on the fly rather than having fixed waveforms like triangle or whatever right which is what it's the nes a, and the
2: um, and the sega psgs have yeah
3: and the game boy or what have you yeah mm. uh and it has uh, various ways where you can modulate the sound so it's got filtering capability which is what gives it a large part of its trademark oh, yeah. uh, richness. You'll you'll hear plenty of that soon. Actually, when I first read uh, about that,
2: I couldn't believe that it had that that kind of filtering capability and I thought it was just like, mm. oh, someone just threw this on and it was like a hacked like VST virtual synth I was playing with. But then to learn <laughs> that the that the Commodore 64 actually had these these modulators and like and yeah, envelopes. Yeah. It's incredible. Like built it in, really is. Built it's it's considered
3: it. a pretty significant feat of of like hardware computer engineering for the time. I mean, I think the guy who designed it originally wanted it to be even more advanced, so he had to settle settle for this three-channel thing. But there's so many different ways you can hack this thing these days. Like thanks to the demo scene, coders and programmers have found ways of making it sing in various different ways, including uh, different kinds of sample playback to accompany the the regular SID synthesis sounds, uh, which is which is just great because you know if a composer's like me, it makes it. Uh, makes it very, very interesting. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible sound chip. And just to reiterate, I, I will never, ever talk smack about any any other platform or sound chip because they're all they're all great. But the SID, the SID's the best. I will say that.
0: Honestly, I think that's a good way to look at it. when it comes to like console wars, sound chip wars, whatever. Like, no, <laughs> if your if, you, if your if your product is that good. You should be able to sell it solely on its merits, not by shooting down other things.
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. when I first started listening to some of this music like ages ago, honestly, I i really really fell in love with the sound and how interestingly it's like chunkier. It's like it's got a it's got a much more of a rich uh, mm-hmm. uh texture to it than than say the NES or the Sega PSG. Now granted, like my my uh my love is still with the Y M twenty six twelve from the Sega Oh, I love that one from too from the Sega Mega. I love Drive, that one too. But uh But yeah, we we can play favorites, but I I still still love a lot of different things. Um, Right,
3: right. It's kind of like an apples and oranges thing up to a point. Um, Curiously, there are some really exciting developments uh, recently where um, you can have a cartridge for the C64 that basically gives you, uh, I think it's the YM3812 uh, Yamaha synth chip, which is the same one used in the AdLib sound card. So it's uh, nine channels of FM synthesis. To supplement the SID chip, which, which is just an absolute dream. So it's to so supplement
2: the SID chip within the C64 with the Yamaha synthesizer, but you're still sequencing it and programming it on a C64. It's
3: all the processing's done by the 6510 in the C64, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I, of
0: course, had yeah, to look it's, it's up fun, why it's fun. called... Like, for the life of me, it's been this long in my life. I was like, why do they call it C64? I was like, it's probably RAM-related because it cuts see exactly, bits. Yeah. 64K, so, yeah.
3: That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are various expansions, but um, in in the demo scene, uh, for the most part, you're trying to work within the limitations, as you might expect. So it's got to be, you know, you can't. You can get RAM expansion units, but really, to release a regular demo in a competition, it's stock 64k of RAM and uh, no no fancy bells and whistles. Just try and make the hardware do as much as it can without you uh, interfering.
0: Yeah, because if it's in the friggin' name, the moment you expand that RAM, now you're not doing a C64 demo scene track. You're doing a Commodore 128 or whatever. So Yeah,
3: <laughs> Yeah, something like that. That's well,
2: it. Well, let's listen to some original tunes. So we're going to be listening to music from games that uh, came out on the, I guess, the original uh, production line for the Commodore 64. Um, so these are definitely working within not just the limitations of of the sound chip and that, and that ram but there's nothing extra going on here right so this mm. is like they they designed I, don't know, I guess they allocate what so much memory for the game and they have to allocate so much memory for the music and they even probably played music while the game was loading from a tape is that right uh in some cases
3: yeah yeah um yeah, I'll, I'll. I think my uh, bonus round track will be an example of that, like a remix of, of one of those tunes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got a factor in the available memory and the available uh, CPU time as well, all sorts of things. So. Right. Yeah, programmers re- working very, very close to the metal, so to speak, using assembly language, which is super low level.
2: Yeah, you're telling uh, the processor like at the operator level, like you're what to do, which is incredible. Exactly. I had some friends who yeah, exactly. used to do that with their um, uh, with their with their graphing calculators in class and they would hook it up to their computer and then they would like they could write assembly level it was like zx or z80 or whatever into the thing and they could and they tried oh to, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it was ostensibly to, to like program and make little games but honestly it was to save notes and cheat during tests but that's my and <laughs> hey, we got drug wars out of that i <laughs> yeah. can't complain I'd exactly that, that's how you built that stuff um but yeah let, let's get started with some music so we're gonna start with you michael um okay what, what's your first pick
3: So this is a piece of music from a game called Last Ninja 3. Um, I should say at this point that the tunes we're hearing uh, I took the liberty of recording these from my real hardware. Yeah, Yeah. so this tune, some of these tunes we're playing recorded from a 6581 type uh, SID chip which is the older model. Some of these tunes are from an 8580 which is Uh, like an upgrade with different kind of filter response this tune i'm I'm going with first i recorded this from the earlier 6581 Mm. and this is um last ninja 3 it's the intro so it plays during uh during a cinematic intro sequence like a quite beautiful one actually for the time Mm. time being 1991 and uh, the composer is rain Auerhand, a dutch composer so yeah hope you like it intro from last ninja 3.
2: Was the intro music from Last Ninja Three, the third to the Last Ninja, for the mm. Commodore 64, composed by Rain Uehand? Is it Oahand? Yeah, Uehand. Yeah, yeah. Ouhand, Very cool. Um, so yeah, that was a big, big track, um, and very mm. long intro. So, you said it accompanied a, a cutscene.
3: Yeah, it was. It's basically when you first uh, load the game up, you'll you'll see and hear this. I, I don't think the intro sequence even pl- uses the entire tune, actually, from what I remember. Um. I think the the track in its entirety before it loops is something like five minutes long. Oh, wow. I think they maybe use two or three minutes of it. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's a pretty well loved tune uh, for, uh, for folks who like this sort of game back in the day. It's basically like an isometric uh, flick screen action adventure game. Oh, neat. Uh, so it's not it's not the ty- type of game that I've really ever managed to fall in love with. Although it looks great, like it looks great, but. I always find the controls maybe a little cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, growing up with uh, Sonic, you, know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you like that uh, immediate response. Um, yeah,
3: I think th- games have certainly gotten better for that, even on the C sixty four. But yeah, this this game does look really pretty. Um, a lot of very very nicely placed pixels and a lot of great design touches. So uh, yeah, and the soundtracks just great. Our hands considered one of the uh, one of the greats in the
2: old school. Set composition department. This yeah, that's for, for the original for it being an original tune. It's, it really sounds advanced, like the um, those punchy drums and those even those snare hits. They sound kind of crackly and they just mm. cut through the sound. It sounds really clean. What were, what were you gonna say for now? It got me thinking when he just described you know the
0: game and how it runs. So obviously you're a huge fan of the sound. The sound is pretty much going to be prevalent throughout your entire life. Um, but the gameplay is another story. Um, mm. When you look like, and you look at the, the current state of Commodore 64 games and the ones that you would likely still boot up today while having access to all the other present-day hardware, what would you say are the style of Commodore 64 games that still kind of work in a way of being fun without okay. making you kind of feel like you should be playing something in a more advanced hardware?
3: Um, I really like... There's a, there's a game called uh, Paradroid, which is, it's sort of like uh, you're in this spaceship and you're this robot that has to go around uh, uh, getting rid of all the all these like hostile robots, and you, and you, you get rid of them by uh, hacking into their mainframes. You can choose to shoot them up, but your weapon's not always great, but you can hack into their mainframes, and there's a sub-game where you have to try and uh, basically hotwire them uh, with this, this special... Yeah, it's, it's a really nicely realised game, and then you assume control over these... More powerful droids to Our go name. around and clean the place out. That one, it that one is really, really. Maybe it's my favourite C64 game actually, Paradroid. But there are some excellent arcade ports on the C64. I mean, Bubble Bobble is arcade perfect for my money. No kidding. There's
0: a C64 version
3: of Bubble Bobble. It's one of the first games I ever played. Yeah, Bubble Bobble. <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Uh, there's there's some games you wouldn't expect to be ported. I mean, if you remember Solomon's Key, which is an NES classic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was another one of the first games I ever played, uh, the C64 port of Solomon's Key, and yeah, it's it's again very nicely done. Uh, yeah, it's sometimes arcade ports are a little little bit clunky, or you can tell they just ran out of time. But there were certain there were certain teams uh, operating out of the UK who just seemed to be great at producing or reproducing these uh, arcade titles because they had access to the arcade, the arcade cabinets. You know, the Japanese companies would ship them an arcade cabinet, and they would just pour over all the details graphically and gameplay-wise, and just try, it was like an exercise in uh, realizing exactitude with that, so I think a lot of the arcade ports, for someone who spends more time with demos than games, to be completely honest, if I want a quick fix, then I'll go to, I'll go to, like, OutRun or something like that, like, there's a couple of decent races on the C64, oh,
0: That's Very cool.
3: That's what I like to hear, because when you look at, like, gaming, and it shifts by
0: generation, of course, you know, which you grew up with, per se, but, uh, you know, you look back on, say, a lot of NES games, which is, like, one of the big flagstones for, like, hey, this is my retro console. Mm-hmm. And um, and you look at games that play like NES games but on more modern hardware. There's some cases where you're like, you know, this game does it in a way where I don't think I'd ever want to go back and play these older ones. But by that same token, there are timeless games on the NES. Just like there are timeless games on the, the C64, where it's like, despite them having been done on hard- stronger hardware, I can still go back to this old game, play it, and feel... Absolute joy in it. Like, there's no. I'm mm. not taking any. I'm not taking any losses by experiencing this game style in this way. And I like. That's why I like wanted to ask you that because you're you're the most Commodore 64
2: knowledgeable person yeah,
0: I know. You're most well,
1: oh, thank well you. versed <laughs> in this.
2: Um, Yeah. So so moving on, we're going to um, another title. This is. Oh wait, I, w- I had a question, and I'm not sure if this is just something. Maybe I, I've in my mind, I I've drawn these correlations. In between the two things, but when I, I mm-hmm. when I look back at some of uh, the classic NES games, uh, classic NES music that I really loved, like stuff from uh, Tim Fallin and from Rob Hubbard, like when I go back, I'm like, oh, these tracks on the NES are super, super long. Like the intro to Skater Die 2 and um, oh, yeah. uh Solstice is like a nine da, minute da, 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 da. epic that I just in, in love with. Do you think that the length of these tunes was informed from like maybe their work? On the C sixty four, probably, yeah. I mean, Rob
3: Hubbard. Since you mentioned him, he uh, he did compose some uh, tunes that just went on and on and on. I mean, y- you were glad they did because there were uh, there's some very beautiful, propulsive stuff uh, in his you know his repertoire of sit tunes. But uh, I-, I would I would guess that yeah, maybe. Uh, it's it's like if if you can imagine this uh continuum between arcade machines on the one hand and home computers on the other. In an arcade you only have so much time, you wanna maximize your money. Mm-hmm. The home computer you can kind of sit and meditate on it maybe, so the tunes might be longer for that reason. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably there's probably something in that Rob, yeah.
2: I always wondered about that. Like I always thought maybe like it was maybe it was a port from the tune, but a lot of times there were new tunes, but Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just really interesting to me that it was always the Western composers, and then there's composers that had roots with the Amiga or the C64. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. All right, so now we're going to move to a game called Ferrari Formula One. Uh, This is the title music composed by Barry Leitch. And let's give it a go. Loading, ready, run.
1: Gentlemen, start your engines.
2: theme from Ferrari Formula One for the Commodore 64 composed by Barry Leitch and this has some real big time synth wave energy in it mm. I just I love that 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 classic 80s like synth sound like all of those like are um, like chord arpeggiations and just the, the driving drum and I, I, I picked this tune because it sounded to me so much like test drive and then, then of course Michael pointed up. That was also Barry Leitch, so I
3: believe it's the same guy. Yeah. yeah, he's he was kind of the go-to guy for uh, Amiga racing game music. I think he did like Top Gear stuff as well. Mm. Um, yeah, he's got pedigree in that department for sure. It's and
0: it surprises me too. Like, if I remember correctly, I know it released his kids for Top for um for Test Drive, but apparently I guess Top Gear too. Like those games originated on on like classic computer software um, hardware as opposed to like the SNES yeah. where I first played them? Yeah, the, That's right, yeah, I, yeah.
2: My first time playing Test Drive was on my IBM or my Tandy PC or whatever and it was like this the classic like pink and blue <sighs> CGA CGA cov, uh, colors uh, which I, I don't know, I have a, a lot of nostalgia for that but yeah, a lot of that started on computer systems a lot, a lot of cool racing games on the Amiga that were then ported to the NES um, so it had like a much wider um, audience. That i to love that's top gear
0: something fierce top gear was test driver yeah. i most remember is like you'd be driving like for somebody just thought they'd go the extra mile and they, they, you know render bird
2: splatter on yeah. your freaking car <laughs> when they crap <laughs> on your windshield like what is this now i don't know much about the uh, ferrari formula one but do you know anything about this one
3: yeah so i think a lot of a lot of the appeal for top gear and games like that uh, that also have barry leach on the sound is that those games are very immediate and they're not really simulations. They're kind of arcadey a lot of the time. Mm. This game is the polar opposite in that it's it's very highly involved as far as the the detailed race, pre race setup and all that go. <laughs> it's like a simulation. And the racing itself is uh, kind of very slow and jerky. It's it's far from the best racing game on the C sixty four, but it does you know, it does have the big tune and it does have all the options, so it's kind of impressive in its own way, but I wouldn't call it actively fun as such <laughs> yeah.
2: that's, that's, that's the tagline on the box not yeah not, not immediately fun but yeah do yeah. you like fun. options
0: we've got options <laughs> do you want the sense of enjoyment we can try to give you that I tried to get into,
2: into like racing simulation type games I always thought it would be something like, like some kind of nerdy like thing I could get into but I just mm. I love the immediacy of arcade racing I think Pranelkin is yeah. probably on a similar spectrum Closest I've
0: come to it is uh the original Gran Turismo games. Yep. Whereas I would, I tried to sit down with those, but when it came time to start tweaking like the freaking shocks on the car, I lost interest. <laughs> and then like what ends up happening further is uh since I got to the review kick, every once in a while like, the, like my guy will be like, hey, you want to review this game? It's called Ride 3. I'm like, ooh, it's motorcycles. This sounds great, and I'll take it. And I start planning like, wait a minute, I gotta I gotta tweak the bike. I have to actually work on the bike? I don't wanna do that. It's what I so mean's for, surely. I think you start driving the bike and it's not just accelerate and never use the brakes and then cut turns like no, you're just constantly falling off the bike because it is definitely a sim style racer. This is there's no just pedal to the metal yeah, all the time. I, I think
2: a lot of people our age had a very similar experience of putting in Gran Turismo, hearing hearing all this cool stuff about it, booting it up for the first time, and then like racing to the first corner and then immediately not being able to turn. Hard enough. It yep. is going way yeah. off the track. Be like, Not to mention <laughs> like the, it was also like the very
0: first game I could think of where it was like, oh cool racing game and you put it in the system, you're ready to pick your car and go, but no, the first no. thing you gotta do is earn your driver's license.
2: <laughs> oh
3: yeah, yeah on the Korea you. mode, yeah. Teach you to play yeah. the game
2: first, guys.
0: Learn, every if I remember correctly, like every there was like tiers of races and then to qualify yeah. for the next tier of race you had to get a brand new driver's license. Mm. <laughs> which was at new courses. It's like what is this? No but there was also that guy. Was that guy down the hall? Because I was in college at the time. There was that guy down the hall. was like, "Oh yeah, new driver's license exam! I can't wait!" Like what?
1: <laughs> new what exam. is I this? I can't wait. And then
2: across the hall, someone screams, "No!"
1: <laughs> exactly. Get him! Get him!
2: <laughs> All right, Purnell, uh What's your first pick for the show?
0: Well. I actually really like the picks that I made for this episode because due to the topic and the resources that Michael gave us with which to say, hey, don't just dive in blind. Use some tools. Oh, yeah. We, we, um, should,
2: we should say, yeah, Michael, you've really come through for the show. I mean, you gave us uh, uh, players. You gave us like um, uh, uh, history like in text files and then just an enormous <laughs> compilation of files for us to play and listen to on the show. It's fantastic stuff. Zach, hey, thank no, you so much. Thank no
3: you. worries at all, man. It was my, my pleasure. I mean, this this stuff is just, you know, one of the loves of my life. So it was mm-hmm. any, any excuse to, to uh, indulge in that is is always something I'll jump on. So no worries there. Well,
0: it made, like it made our jobs point, a little
2: bit easier. So I didn't mean to cut you off for now, but it's, it's, well, it's not even, huge.
0: That's the funny thing. It's not even so much that it made it easier because, like, to give you an example, before I was going to pick, like, oh, here's a track from Gradius on the C64. It got ported. Mm. And, it's uh... Nice. That would have been an easy choice for me because I'm familiar with Gradius, you know, just now it's a C64 port. But, uh, due to the tools, I was able to say, you know what, let's see if I can learn about some games that I've never in my life heard of before that were only on the C64 to my knowledge. And if it was on anything else, it was on another piece of hardware that I didn't know, So, it still works. So every game I picked from, I have never played before. I only heard of it because of this episode. And I love that. Um... So this first pick comes from a game called Octopolis. Um, it is titled High Score Entry, referenced on the Sid as Subtune 3, composed by Willie Beeben.
2: Ah, uh, Octopolis, a tale of eight cities. <laughs> each <laughs> race,
0: each each run by one of eight Octopolis. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to the High Score Entry theme, a.k.a. Subtune 3, from the game Octopolis on the Commodore 64, composed by Willy, Wally Beban. So, this game actually resonated well with me by just, like, watching how the game played out, um, like, the style of it. It was one of those, like, games where there are like, two, I guess there's two halves of the gameplay, where... First and foremost, I have no idea what the premise of the game is, so I don't know why you're doing any of it. But, uh, <laughs> the first phase involves, like, you flying a ship on a horizontal plane, shooting down targets, and, uh, ultimately trying to make your way to land the ship to enter a sort of, I guess, like a octo- I just kind of imagine it's like an octo base populated by monstrosities and weird big-headed <laughs> critters. And your character has to go from screen to screen, Usually entering from one zone and then exiting out another and then entering the next screen in a place completely unrelated to where you exited the previous <laughs> screen. Um, and your overall goal is to get to the exit at the end of the course and you're being timed as you do it. You get a gun right. and you can jump. Some enemies, from where I can tell you, can't even hurt and others you can. So occasionally you're trying to avoid them and dodge around them while the clock's ticking. So I honestly thought it was a pretty cool little game and the music resonated well with me too. I'm a sucker for tracks where, well, of course, as Rob mentioned, um, they're high tempo. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know what it is about me, but like that sound that usually comes where it sounds like water, like you're in the water. Uh, I don't know how else to mm-hmm. describe it. It just sounds like you're underwater.
3: Um, yeah, that's the sort of uh, the kind of uh, sustained textural sound underneath, right? Yes. That's like that's like that classic a ar- fast arpeggiation, but it's done on the triangle wave, which is like the softest of the available waves. So it does kind of just sit at the bed of the track, kind of padding the whole thing out. It's a nice little technique.
0: This used very well in this track because, well, I, I was enamored with it. And I, this is the type of game that, as I watched it play out, and I watched a few sequences of it get played, I was like, you know, I think this is the kind of game that, even today, if someone said, hey, Pernell, let's race an Octopolis, I would totally play it. I would absolutely play it and enjoy it. So... I hope I made a decent showing with my first C64 track, but this is something ah, I, I appreciate. So.
2: Oh yeah, that's cool. So what? What can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to record these tracks? Um,
3: there was no no particular magic really. I mean, I've got um. So as I say, there's two revisions of the SID chip: sixty-five eighty-one and eighty-five eighty. And I've, um, I've got two Commodore 64s, uh, an older one, which you call the bread bin model because it looks kind of like a bread box. <laughs> and uh, the more recent one, which is when they overhauled the design in 86 to make it look a little bit more like the emerging Amigas and Atari STs just to upgrade the design. And the upgraded design has the 8580. So um, I just ascertained which side was appropriate for the certain picks. And then I would take like an AV cable. Went uh, I've got like an S video cable. So there's... Oh, okay. uh, there's the standard composite uh, red, white, and yellow, and then there's also the S video connector. And I would use the S video connector to plug that into my laptop's capture device oh wait, so to there's monitor. An,
2: there's an S video from the C64?
3: Uh, not directly out of it, but I've got a cable which which is uh, for S video output wise. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just, I just basically took the uh, red and white uh, RCA connectors. Put some jack adapters on there and jammed it into the front of my <laughs> laptop's audio interface, which I'm using to talk to you now. And then just played with the levels, uh, made sure the signal-to-noise ratio was okay, and that was kind of it. It was it, it's it's a similar a similar um, process to when I set up for these streams I've been running lately on Twitch, like running right. demos and things. So. You know, it's just it's it, there's no particular tricks. It's just a little bit of practice and experience to get it sounding okay.
2: Now, are you able? To, now do you have to boot up the game itself to listen to the tune where it's playing, or are there collections of the music like files? Out yes, yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So all of the music we're we're playing here is uh, uh, in the form of SID files, uh, SID format, which you can. They're all available for free from the High Voltage SID Collection or HVSC, which is updated twice annually. It's all available online. It's all shared, so all the classic tunes from games, intros, demos, and all the new stuff as well as it's released is added to that. And there are certain programs uh, you can run uh, through your modern machines, your modern your, your modern machines, your Commodore sixty four <laughs> with uh, modern peripherals in lieu of disk drives oh, to load to load so these for, SID files and play so them back. For,
0: so for folks who are like familiar with the idea of like some retro game uh, music on um, some mm. players but aren't familiar with the SID. Think of it in the, akin to NSF files for an NES sound collection. Right. It's a similar idea.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's kind of what a SID file is, yeah. So there are some programs that you can run on the C64 by way of uh, your, not a disk drive, but like a special cartridge which emulates a disk drive, and then you stick the SID files in there and run them, and
2: they will play. That's, mm. yeah. It's a
1: glorious thing.
2: Now, because the music played during—if it played during the game—would it sound differently? Because the processor was also being used to handle like gameplay and input and graphics and things. That depends.
3: Uh, some games just didn't have. Uh, this had sound effects anyway. Mm. Uh, uh, there are. There's only a handful of games I can think of where there is a noticeable slowdown, in the the tune start mm. slowing down uh, when the CPU is particularly busy. But most of the time, there'd be certain. Like sufficiently economical approach to programming, which would avoid issues like right. that. It, one more most recent example I can think of of slowdown in a SID tune during a game, which is pretty rare, is there was um, an unlicensed, unofficial uh, port of Super Mario Brothers originally <laughs> on the NES for the C sixty four, and I swear to God, it is incredible just how accurate it is. It's astonishing. It's it's wow. almost perfect. But when um, you need a bit of maybe a RAM expansion to stop the slowdown from happening if there's more than three Goombas on the, on the screen <laughs> at once. But other than oh, that, and other than the fact you need the up direction to jump, which I think a lot of people would find a bit weird. Oh, oh, yeah. it just, it's the same game. It's, I, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. Of course, Nintendo shut it down immediately, but it's out there. <laughs> I was <laughs> about to there.
0: ask. Like, that, I was going to ask, and now I need to do some research, because I'm wondering if I mean, you did end up following by saying Nintendo shut it down, but I was like, I was wondering if that's what resulted in spawning Gianna Sisters, is because Nintendo shut down the Mario port, so someone was like, you know what? Here's Mario and everything but the name!
3: Uh, Yeah, Gianna Sisters was Rainbow Watch just being kind of cheeky. <laughs> but yeah, this this Mario port, this came out last year.
2: Oh, well, oh, oh wow. yeah. that was recent! Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a great lead into our next set of tunes. So now we're going to talk about the uh, the indie scene, or kind of. Not really the demo scene, but like the the uh, the new the new school of the C64. So the C64's I guess heyday has come and gone, and now we have programmers and enthusiasts coming in and building and programming their own new software, new new games for the older system. Is that right?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover between the demo scene and the modern modern C64 game development scene. Um, like a uh, so the, the composers, the composer I've got up my sleeve right here, and and yours as well, Rob, are active in the demo scene. So oh, yeah, okay. it's a bit of crossover, certainly.
2: No, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and and the the time frame, like, so the the C64 kind of kind of lost its steam, I guess, in the early 90s or like the late 80s. And so mm. the uh, the the indie game homebrew scene started about like with are there are there games in the 90s or was it the early 2000s that people became more interested? Yeah. in? Yeah.
3: There was de- there it there was still some development for games and demos as well throughout the nineties, but it, it did slow to a trickle, and then there was kind of a resurgence in the uh, in the two thousands, and that gathered steam gradually. And right now, it's it's uh, probably as busy the scene's as busy now as it has been since oh, very like, maybe ninety three. I'm guessing it's oh. uh, it's great great time for the scene certainly.
2: Okay, well let's listen to to some modern some modern class modern retro i don't know what we're gonna call it if we're gonna call it modern c64 tunes um, yeah start with uh start with your pick
3: yeah it's a funny paradox isn't it yeah. but i suppose that's what it is well this pick is um is from a game called slipstream released in 2017 and this is uh this is really interesting this is a 3d polygonal rail shooter what you can imagine that <laughs> running on a c64 so and this, it was developed processor by get, like
2: super hot or something or
3: um probably yeah yeah <laughs> burn your hands on that thing it was uh, developed by the uh, the demo scene and game development group uh, Bauknecht, which I'm probably horribly mispronouncing. Um, but yeah, this is one of the in-game tunes from a level called Aquile, mm-hmm. And the composer, who is a, a great fella, uh, is Ronnie Engman, also known as Dalesy, in the demo scene. So yeah, Aquile from Slipstream. All right.
2: the game slipstream for the c64 composed by ronnie egmond or dalezy wow that is some deep stuff that is some deep Mm. deep bass i am into that tune um you said he's from berlin yeah he lives i don't know if he's from there originally but he lives in berlin
3: now and um yeah a couple of years ago i went to a demo party in berlin and he was there uh, he he had a uh, an old school music entry for the competition then i had one as well so we got talking uh talking about SID music and and music more broadly he produces uh some electronic music of his own so as you can probably tell he's into his um like minimal techno and his hard like ambient and industrial kind of stuff uh yeah he's he's great i had to play a tune by him and slipstream i don't think he's done too many game soundtracks but yeah slipstreams the one that came to mind immediately uh yeah just this really nice handling of the sids filter as you heard on
2: the kicks and the hi-hats uh yeah it had yeah, a it's, really it's deep like detroit techno kind of feel to it like from like the 90s I used to listen to oh what was it i can't I'm trying to think of the guy's name rob something i want <laughs> no. to say is it is a hubbard no <laughs> no no it was like Nichols. Oh, I'll find I'll Rob find Nichols. It. That would, yeah, Rob Nichols. That's, that was me.
1: <laughs> no, we
2: were talking about like how um, um, uh, uh, the, the, the filtering. We were I was watching this one video of a guy playing with a, a filter. He had, he hooked up MIDI knobs and extra knobs to his C sixty four so he could play with a filter on it. And as he was doing it, mm-hmm. he was making faces and getting into it. And it really really reminded me when I got my first uh, Korg um, outboard synth. Plugged it into my my drum machine with a MIDI cable, and then sequenced oh, yes. it into my little like my little uh, four track tape player or four track tape recorder, and I was like, "This is the best thing in the world." I hit yeah. play, it and it syncs up, and then I can just play with the filter <laughs> knob and be like, "Yes, I am the ultimate DJ," you know. Yeah, you were a you were a bad man back in the day, yeah. um, I mean, I, I, it didn't go anywhere; it never left the bedroom. But <laughs> he kept simmered down. Now he's become like he's
0: he's hey, have some lemonade. <laughs> Um, he's a mellow man' I'm, I'm, the
2: mel- I'm the, yeah it's all about the lo-fi hip-hop now <laughs> <laughs> um I, I don't know it's that's really cool it's really interesting that it's, it's such a minimal tune too where I could yeah. you could tell so much care went into every individual sound to sound that way especially after all of the music that we just heard right. and going into it's, that it's it's, 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 it's it's a good point it's stripped down to just being like as really perfect as they could make it yeah this highlights the kind of simple fact that
3: uh, music's like this uh, melody and harmony this is not a salient dimension to it so you know all, all the most salient musical informations in the handling of the timbres and the textures right as it progresses um it's sort of like vertically stacked textures rather than unraveling over time so it's yeah it's i think you can tell he's got a lot of uh, experience like listening and and producing this stuff like off the SID chip as well as on it, I think.
2: All right, so um, kind of on the other side of this uh, kind of minimal side of things, I'm going to go into my next track. This is from the game The Vice Squad, The Vice Squad, which The uh, Vice Squad. <laughs> the yeah. Pernell, Pernell, you're going to dig this one. I mean, this is like way. This is right, right down my alley. I'm talking pitch bends and mm. crazy melodies. This is by Arpeggio, Pernell full of arpeggios <laughs> <laughs> the arpeggio effect uh, yeah that, that, I want that on a t-shirt and give it to Pernell and make him wear it <laughs> <laughs> the arpeggio it. effect this is by Sasha Ziedler uh, also known as Linus and this is the title tune from the Vice Squad <laughs> squad for the commodore 64 composed by Sasha ziedler also known as linus and man this is just it's got everything i love about classic game music with the pitch bends and the the rhythm changes and Mm. it just it takes like how it just takes you on like this full journey it's fantastic um so yeah i i'm been i'm gonna search out more from uh this artist
3: i'll help you out with that (laughs) he's he's in um. One of one of the groups I'm in, it's a music group called Multi Style Labs, and he's also in the same group, so what? I speak to him reasonably regularly. He, I mean, he's a great guy, and his he's been doing this for quite a while. Um, yeah, he's he's kind of the master of the filter bass in my book. And uh, I mean, you heard those like echoes on going across the channels. Uh, you said it was sort of like classic Tim Fallon music, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can I can through. hear that on this particular tune.
2: But leading up to that, there's... There, there's huge bass filter sweeps leading up to that like that to me that that's a modern sound like that's something out of like a drum and right, bass right. like tune just like k- like everything else is happening up here but then there's this huge like sweep of like a belching yeah. like wow and i'm like yes more a of, lot that of his t- early <laughs> demo
3: tunes were in the drum and bass style so that's about right i oh, think geez, yeah. okay great perfect all right you're um, gonna like
2: this guy yeah <laughs> I, think, well, I think we'll be we're gonna get on great as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, so the Vice Squad. Uh, we, mm. When did this? When was this released?
3: Uh, 2013. This game was oh, released. Wow. Uh, did, did you see any of the uh, like, gameplay
2: of mm-hmm. this one? Honestly, no. I didn't. Didn't look anything up on this one.
3: Yeah, it's kind of how to describe it. It's It's like a top down uh, vehicular combat scene because you're like a you know it's the Vice Squad, so Cop. Mm-hmm. and there are these. Um, and there's like a Mexican drug lord who you're trying to hunt down and he's got his henchmen in black cars <laughs> that you have to take out with your car-mounted firearms oh, okay. and you're just you're just flying along a road avoiding obstacles oh, trying not to uh trying not to manage other people yeah
2: pernell you're right on I'm, I'm watching it now it's like a horizontal scrolling spy hunter spy um, hunter is
3: about right yeah yeah
2: but oh, but the graphics kind of remind me of spy hunter and remind me a little bit of um, grand theft auto the original grand theft auto Okay. Um, right, right. But uh, uh, probably that was inspired a lot by um, uh, uh, Spy Hunter and maybe also... I was going to say also the vice squad, but uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> <Applied> <laughs> so by a real. I think, think my timeline's got a little mixed yeah. up here, but man, this this is a fantastic tune. I'm so so. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. Like a lot of this other stuff that's in that drum and bass. Uh, style. It does. Ex-
0: it does explain mm. how our tracks are so different, though. Because I think both games you picked from came out in more later years. Mm-hmm. Like the games I'm picking for, like these, were just came out like '85. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel a little better. I was like, how's Rob finding these meaty, these
2: meaty tracks? I'm like, mine's like, beep, boop, boop, Well, come on for now. Your next track has got to be super meaty, too. What's your your next tune? Well, less meaty, more clam (laughs) chowdery,
0: but still good. Still good, because I love clam chowder. It's still Um, tasty. (laughs) Yes, right. God, I want some right now. Um, This comes from a game I also learned about, again, from prepping for this episode. Um, The game is titled The Ark of Yeza or Yisad, however you want to pronounce it. And it's Subtune 1, the title theme. For the Commodore 64, composed by Keith Tenman, or Tenman,
2: or tenman <laughs> The Ark of Yisad sounds like a Falcom RPG, doesn't it? It really that's does. That's what drew yeah. me to it when I was looking at it. Up. I was like, Ark of Yisa, I'm in. Yeah, it's, all like, oh, <laughs> that's, it's probably amazing. Where's, where's the anime girls in this one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not a one! <laughs> you will be disappointed.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Subtune 1, a.k.a. the title theme from the game The Ark of Yesad, or Yezod, The Thomas 4, composed by Keith Tenman. Uh, this game, honestly, we were joking about it, but in this own way, I was actually kind of serious, And that uh, Rob was like, this has like a Falcami sound to the title, and I'm like, well, that's honestly why I gravitated towards it when I was like, perusing titles, like, oh, here's mm-hmm. one worth looking at, The Ark of Yezod. I wonder, and then Rob goes, were any anime girls? I'm like, no. <laughs> but what I did no find dice. was what appeared to be a game that involved a man who was a, I guess like a uh, astronaut who was like docking on surfaces of like moon bases or space stations or floating orbital spheres. I don't know what it was supposed to be. And he would die. He would go into it and he was exploring room by room, trying to find like various components And he even had like a small inventory that he could work with, which was kind of cool. It again, they they go back to like the thing I keep the horse that I keep beating, but um, it gave (laughs) me vibes of like you know like those like the games that La Mulana was based around. Yeah, Um, like those old exploration games.
2: Yeah, very Mm -hmm. exploratory. I'm watching some of the gameplay now, and it's like you're these rooms that you're in. It's screen by screen. It's not scrolling. It doesn't scroll across like like a Metroid game. So it's very interesting. You don't know what to expect into the next room. Although if you jump from room to room, your velocity does kind of carry you. So you, you use it to get from platform to platform. It looks very confusing, but the, um, <laughs> but the graphics are, are, are really incredible. Like, I mean, it, obviously it's an 8-bit system. It's very, um, it's very simple, but the animation is very smooth, very, very smooth. It's, it's really impressive
0: it makes you really kind of just think about game design and how it's evolved over the years because there's like certain things where like, for example, you just described of Archeiza where you could jump from one screen into another expecting to land somewhere. And uh, these are like certain gameplay designs where if you put it in a present day game, people would be in your face about like, this is poor game design. Why would you do that? (laughs) You have to make these blind off-screen jumps. And back in the day... It was borderline a feature. <laughs> it's like, hey, well, um, this is the limits of our technology, but to get around that, you can just jump between screens and then kind of land somewhere. So now it's a skill and a tactic to memorize rooms and know to jump from the top of the one room to come down to the bottom of the other. So it's like it's a something I appreciate. Like it's, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, and of course. If I'm going to play a game that involves having to run quickly, high-velocity gameplay, I want it to scroll. I don't want to make blind jumps. But if it's like a slow, methodical game, I'm totally cool with this. It it um, works.
2: Or have the rooms be a little bit larger, like in um, 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 the game that we've been playing. La Mulana. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Because there's a lot of places in La Mulana where you do have to kind of make these long, blind jumps. Um, Mm -hmm. But, of course, the game is punishing you. Um, yes. I don't know what it knows about me that it, that it knows that I need to be punished but somehow it does and it's like, you're you're bad you've been a bad game player
0: Fun fact, the yeah. game was actually produced in Silent Hill, Pennsylvania
2: What <laughs> was it now?
0: The game is specially designed to be in tune with all of our personal
2: sins when it gets to our door <laughs> That's right, It looks different to everybody? Is that what it is? That's right <laughs> I never found that room, Rob What are you talking about? Oh man it's like I know what you did last summer. <laughs> <The game. laughs> All right, so we're going to turn this track down, and we're going to get into our part of our show we call Bonus Round. Bonus round. <laughs> Let's go. The bonus rounds where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. And this episode is no different. We're going to be looking at remixes and arrangements of classic C64 tunes, and maybe even something a little extra. So, uh, Michael, what have you found for us? I've been a little bit sly. Uh, so um the uh, my my
3: bonus round pick is another SID tune, but it is a 2016 remake of uh, a loader tune from a game released in 1986. So um one of the very first games I ever played any any video games I ever played or soundtracks I ever heard was from Sanxian on the C64 which was composed by Rob Hubbard. Very classic. So I would go yeah. over my granddad's house and I'd, uh load up the tape, and be sitting waiting for this game to load. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'd give you this uh, really incredible loader tune by Hubbard uh, as the, as the uh, title screen gradually revealed itself. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of thought about including this tune, but then it was sort of really hard to whittle my picks down to two. So I thought, oh, maybe I can include this in the bonus round. And there's a guy called uh, Jason Page who's active as a musician in the demo scene He's also had a, had a career in the games industry. He's oh. uh, done a bunch of soundtracks and things for Amiga games and PS1 games as well. Now he's returned to um, the C64, and yeah, he did this remake of Hubbard's Sanxi and Loader tune, which is um, uses a special technique where you can uh, play, uh, play SID sound back at a multi-speed, like a multiple of the normal 50 hertz. So this is a four-times-speed SID tune, huh. which affords you a bit more in the way of sound design and instrument design which I think you might hear when the yeah, the tune uh, gets going it's got some really fancy percussion and things on this one oh. so yeah this is uh, this is called Sanxian Remix uh, so originally composed by Rob Hubbard but arranged by Jason Page in 2016
2: is something else wow even with a fade out this is the remix yeah. <laughs> of the saxion loader tune composed by rub hubbard and arranged for the c64 many years later by the composer jason page wow man there's so much is this still the same hardware they're using it's it
3: exact same stock c64 stock sid uh, again it's um he's um used a multi speed technique uh for the sake of getting some more instruments squeezed into that thing. But um yeah it's 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 the same uh it's the same tune basically in the same system. Mm -hmm. I mean to me it's it still sounds really old school C sixty four, but it's with that that multi speed edge gives the drums in particular like a lot more bite.
2: It does. And a lot more crispness, yeah. And because of that it sounds a little more balanced. Like uh, I think the original right. for me the original is a little harsh for my my taste. is it's just like because the lead is really really heavy and and kind it's of shrill. Cr- yeah, it's pretty shrill. Yeah, but this one it's just balanced all the way around. I encourage our listeners um to listen to these tracks um at the end of the episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to these tracks uh, with headphones <laughs> on or in your car because the the bass that's coming through this is is nothing you would never hear bass like this on an NES or on like a, a Sega PSG. Maybe the, the 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 master the the uh the Mega Drive or the Sega Genesis, but m- usually not the, yeah. the Super Nintendo. You're not going to hear this kind of bass. Um, and that has to, that do a lot to do with the filtering, right?
3: Exactly, yeah. So there's certain techniques where, because it, it's it's a fully functional filter for like lower pass as well as band pass and high pass. And you can combine those modes as well. So what I think he's doing is he's combining low pass with band pass. And there's also like a, not only is there a cutoff, uh, setting but there's also resonance so it's like mm. cranking up the resonance and it's going bow you know yeah. getting really really low <laughs> you can go really really low and it's just it's almost like uh like a three or three or something yeah at times. no
2: yeah it just being up for be for having the chip being able to produce that low of a frequency to begin with As if you were to filter down like on an nes you would filter it down be uh, far past where it was able to produce any sound but like you said this was an analog synthesizer Built into more the or less. Yeah, so I was, able to, yeah, more or less. I was able to go that low. How low can you go? All right. Space, so, <laughs> um, All right, so my track is an actual uh, remix. This is called the, this from the game Turrican. This is the generation mix. Um, it is by... I have Arvaka. I know Chris Holzbeck. I know. And S. Hartwig I also had listed. Yeah. Um, and then this is arranged, arranged by Gerard Ball. The title theme or loader theme from the game Turrican The Generation Mix. This was composed by Arvaka, S. Hartwig and Chris Holzbeck and arranged by Gerd Baal. and yeah, that that I love when it goes half time and then like the synths mm. get all like picky oh, it's cool, I really like this tune and uh, you pointed out something interesting <laughs> during the yeah. track <laughs> Yeah, it turns out this tune is technically
3: an arrangement of an arrangement because uh um the composers for the uh, Turrican game on the C64 uh uh copied the uh composition from a tune called Escape by Vince DiCola which was on the uh, 1986 Transformers movie so any transformers fans out there who were like oh this is kind of familiar that'll be why uh <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: this just makes me This also makes me realize that I really should go back and watch that again because when i was a kid i watched it ad nauseum but i haven't seen it in easily 30 plus years
2: yeah, I, I don't mean, remember it, much it. about it. I remember being really into Transformers as a kid. But I never had like any toys, so it was never like on the forefront of like my mind. So Optimus
0: mm. Prime died. That was the big. Oh my <laughs> God, no! Oh,
2: spoilers.
1: Oh, <laughs> okay. I think the limitations <laughs> no, are not. up. <laughs>
2: you don't have the touch. You don't have the touch.
0: Uh, like, I just remember back when that release, of, Like it look. You can't, I can't even think of many movies having the guts to do that in the present. And back then, kids were, like, in the theaters crying, like, <laughs> shedding actual tears because Optimus Prime died. Of course, they ended up bringing him back later in, like, a future, like, you know, art, a um, future film later. But that mm-hmm. time, though, it was amazing to see a oh, studio man, take that spoilers, the
2: whole, they brought him back? Prunell, you yes, gotta cool they... it. You gotta cool it, man.
0: <laughs> they're they're robots in disguise. Did you
2: know that? Oh, man, Purnell. <laughs> they could be anywhere. <laughs>
0: it could be even they could be this PC.
2: Alright. Uh what, what did you find for the bonus
0: round, Purnell? Uh my last track is coming from a game which I actually think did get a console port at some point, like another console. 'cause I've heard of this game before this episode, but uh it's called Chase HQ two. Um, It's an arrangement done by or rather it was originally composed by Klaus Grongard and arranged by Guru Meditator. Back. I hope everyone listened to and enjoyed Well you listened to it hopefully. Whatever Words You just listened to Chase HQ 2 Composed by Klaus Grungard And arranged by Guru Meditator This track is a jam I love it, I enjoyed it very much uh, I hope you guys did too If not, why? What is wrong with you? You're insane <laughs> because this is a peach
2: <laughs> I love that man, that was a great See you brought the fire on this one, that was good Absolutely, yeah Killer, killer pick.
0: This is just I like episodes like this. They're harder to prep for, but they end up being worth it in the end because you just come out with these new and unexpected treats that honestly I want to do more with. Like I wonder if I'm gonna to have to check my emulator downstairs to see if I can actually add C sixty four to it. I bet I could.
2: Yeah, because how, how how easy is it for modern emulation of C sixty four like on like Windows hardware? Or extremely a retro pie. Easy.
3: Easy. extremely yeah. easy. Yeah. So your best bet is an emulator called Vice V I C E. Um, it's on. It's onto some kind of version three at this point, but I think I would I would still recommend the latest version two of Vice. Uh, it emulates everything you'd wanted to emulate, really, for playing demos and emulating the uh, cycle exact speeds of the disk drives, so you can run software properly as if it were oh. on a real system. Hmm. Uh, it runs tape images, cartridge images various ram expansions and things if you want to try that but i mean if you just want to like drag and drop a like a game into there and just play it then it's also very straightforward it's it's as complex as you need it to be mm. but it's also very easy to just drop in and play games as well oh, so awesome. yeah vice version two
2: whatever the late whatever the last one was is uh, you can't really go wrong with that one nice yeah, all right well, for more information on the bonus round, go to rhythmandpixels.com. We're going to have links to um, all of these places where you can find remixes or you find the artists and even find some interesting uh, information and, and stuff on the demo scene uh, all there and you can support these artists. Thanks for listening to episode 23-4 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our Commodore 64 showcase with our special guest, our friend, Michael Bridgewater. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you both. Thank you once again. It's been a lot of fun. And honestly, it gave me a lot
3: of joy to to hear you both uh, exploring some sit-tunes and, uh, you know, finding stuff to like in this, this corner of my world. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun.
0: I will yeah. be continuing to utilize it too, so don't be surprised if all of a sudden, like, "Whoa, Parnell's starting to like these more SID tracks."
2: <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that we, uh, Parnell and I, have both have always really enjoyed, but we never really took the time to to dive into and explore and, and to learn more about. So having having you on, you've spent so much time and, and you have so much love uh, for the sound and for the chips and for everything. Um, um, it's, it's 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 it's. I knew it would be really important to have you on the show, just just to help us with the picks and help us with with everything about it. Um, but before we uh, head out of here, is there is there anything else you want to mention about the uh, the system or about the uh, the computer system that we that we didn't talk about? Maybe uh, a shout out to the demo scene or anything like that, or maybe a favorite yeah. recipe. Yeah, recipe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm no I'm no top chef, unfortunately. Um, what can I tell you? Well, um, I suppose if, if there's one if there's one short but prevailing message about what, what the C64 means to people these days, it's that. Uh, as much as it is obviously a retro platform that existed back in the 80s and early 90s, I think for a lot for a lot of us, we you know we still see it as the future. You know, it's kind of our creative voice. It's our it's our avenue to making more stuff tomorrow, right? So it's kind of a kind of a dynamism between it being retro, but also the way we choose to express ourselves, uh, trying new things out, squeezing as much as possible out of this set of chips as we can, and. Uh, in, my, in my domain, it is the SID chip, so... There, I mean, there are so many composers who do great stuff. Um, the group I'm in, the music group I'm in, Multi-Style Labs, has a bunch of uh, uh, exceptional composers. We've already heard from Linus, uh, Sasha Zeidler as There's also Jammer, Elman, Shogun, just, just loads, of, loads of top names. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are various resources online, including YouTube, obviously, to, to check out, uh, just, just listen to some new SID music coming out. It's coming out all the time. Um, if you want to hear some stuff I've done recently, I've um, I released uh, in this strange ongoing lockdown situation. I decided to release a like a Bandcamp compilation, uh, like a collection of tunes I uh, released between I think it was March 2018 and May 2020 this year. So if you want to uh, check out some stuff that I've done, then it's uh, mebri.bandcamp.com, and that's mebri is M-I-B-R-I. So, yeah, there's, an, there's a compilation on there called Dedication, which is, uh, it, you know, expresses how dedicated I
2: am to the C64, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah, interesting, that, that's, the, uh, like the connection to uh, the VGM podcasting, too, because I know that you've done some of the artwork done for the demo scenes. So the demo stuff that you've done is was done by uh, Ben Dishman, the Dyad. Ah, that's right. The yeah, show yeah, the Dyad yeah. presents. So I, like, it's very interesting to me how these things all kind of interconnect with each other now. Now,
0: when yeah, you, yeah. And out of curiosity like when you got those that art commission was this before you knew
3: about him through the VGM podcast scene? Um, I knew him through the VGM podcast thing first and then as my enthusiasm for the scene grew uh, we'd just be sharing stuff uh, all the time online and then I dragged him kicking and screaming into <laughs> pixel art for the C64 and now we're in the same group it's a group called Proxima of uh, Norwegian origin originally a uh, PC demo group in the 90s but it's been rebooted as a multi-platform demo group so yeah it's been cool working with him on some productions. We did a demo last year uh, called Aroused Uh, you know Aroused from the slumber of the group Uh, Mm -hmm. so uh, check out uh, Aroused by Proxima on YouTube so there's some graphics by the Dyad and there's a heavily disco inspired soundtrack by me on there if anyone can dig that
2: (laughs) I can dig that Oh, yeah, so we're right. going to have links to all of that stuff on the website and all of that stuff um, when this gets uh, re- re-uploaded through, through YouTube. So, yeah, thank, thank you for your time. Um, but hey, no if, doubt. If, you, uh, if you'd like to get in contact with our show, if you have any questions or topic suggestions or even track suggestions, please send us an email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com And for a full track listing of this episode and all of our episodes and, and access to all of our episodes, go to our website. Rhythmandpixels.com um, and uh, if you're interested in checking us out on the social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word. You can go to YouTube.com/RhythmAndPixels, and we have um, all of our episodes are uploaded there, as well as a 24/7 music stream of nothing but 8-bit and 16-bit classics. That will soon have some new radio promos from our Patreon members. So if you'd like to support our show, you can go to Patreon.com/RhythmAndPixels. And you can uh, support any way you can. There, you get access to prequel episodes uh, every week, and then also access to a live stream recorded episode once a month uh, that we do here. And then there's also additional incentives for for higher tiers. But we'd like to thank our Patreon members at the end of every episode. Um, we'd like to thank that Nick Walker, the Last Weekend, Mike Myers, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, Dave Taylor, Reinhardt Zelkova, Andreas Mielberg. Dan Loughton, Phantom Jest, Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Wurma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson from One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater, hey, hey, I know uh, that guy from the hey. uh, Forever Sound Version podcast, and Brian Pitt. So thank you all very much for your continued support um, of our little show. And I'm. Um, not sure what we've got planned next week but we do have a schedule and we're gonna stick to it darn it <laughs> unless something
0: really cool gets squeezed in there which means
2: holy god that would be a great episode I, it could it could happen but um yeah as we move into the next phase of uh, of these uh, this, these levels of quarantine eventually we'll start having a uh, uh pernell work his way back into the studio. And like today, a worm, like a snake. <laughs> like a snake. Later today, we're going to have a barbecue outside and uh, and we'll be outdoors and, and having a good time. So, uh, uh, that's may- so cool. So, maybe on the next live stream, we'll, we'll both be in the same room. Who knows? Might be it, nice. was,
0: it would be nifty. Because, like, fun fact about me, like, for a lot of people, like, you know, I haven't, like, I've, I've gone to, like, every once in a while to people's houses, like, and just kind of stood across from them or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, actually hanging around and being around, around people, in been months. Been yeah. Literal months. Like, I, life is so strange.
2: <laughs> life is very strange right now. And like I said, we miss you. Me, you and, and my wife. Uh, we, we both miss you, so... Uh,
0: well, one we, thing I always say, though... Can you imagine if this happened 20 years ago? <laughs> oh, God, no! We'd all be on the wonder about that. Yeah. It's like, well, I can only play through Mega Man X2 so many times. <laughs> I'll go talk to somebody. Who? Uh, I'll call someone on the phone. Hey, um... Crap, what do you mean he's on? Your brother's on the phone. Crap, well, I guess I gotta...
1: uh. I guess (laughs) we should
2: be thankful, um, you know, the the cause of and solution to all of our problems, the internet, Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, the thing, the, to be able to do things like this and to meet with people Absolutely. like you, Michael, across the across the globe here. So. Yeah, likewise. You gotta a say for pond, well. Rob. Yeah. You gotta say it. Across the pond. Pond. I refuse across to call the- it a pond, man. That's an ocean.
0: It's just a really big that's, pond.
2: That's that's just disrespecting the ocean now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always wonder where that line came from, uh, but I always liked it so much that I just use it. Across <laughs> the
1: pond.
2: All right, well, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks to you again, uh, to Michael Bridgewater. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You take care of yourselves. You too. My name's Rob you Nichols. Too, and I'm Purnell. Have a good night and have a safe week. Take care of each other. And remember, retro gaming
0: doesn't have to be limited to Namco Museum releases. You can actually go out and play a quite a few retro games that you've never heard of up until an episode of the show or you stumbled across a link on the internet, or someone used a track from the game in their fan Sonic collection. Um, There's a variety of ways to come across new music that ties to games you've never played, and just because it's not a hot new release doesn't mean you can't take the time to learn, because you never know. You may find yourself saving some money and playing games that you never expected to like more than games that you're being funneled in to buy on a schedule. Schedule.
1: Schedule.
0: Oh, and one more thing. So I want to add one more. This is an odd thing for me to do, but I did two. Don't be oh well, don't be ashamed of the person that you are. Be open and honest with yourself, to yourself and to others. But with that said, do not be afraid or ashamed to look within yourself for the opportunity to learn and grow. Because we can always do that. And it is not shameful to realize you've done something that you regret and to grow from that. That's not shameful. If anything, being stubborn, that's a shame.
2: Pernell, I'm the one who broke your TurboGrafx-16. What? (laughs) (laughs) Do it.
0: (laughs) I have so many sad stories regarding that TurboGrafx-16.